Okay, we're, I'm going to be in two Bible passages. 2 Timothy 2. When you get to 2 Timothy 2, put a bulletin or a marker there. And then go backwards to Philippians 4. Philippians 4. We've been in a series, and this is the end of the series. All together now. Oh. I've loved this series. Have you? I have loved this series, but we haven't gotten to all the questions that we wanted to. So here are some of the questions we didn't get to. Want to go to this one? Go ahead and advance. Do bald people really get dandruff? <laughs> I don't know. Next, and I don't care. If number two pencils are so popular, why are they number two? Does anybody know the answer to that? I don't know either. Next one. Do vegetarians eat animal crackers? That is cruel. That is just cruel, isn't it? Did anybody else go, this is a cow, and this is a pig, and this is a chicken, and they're all the same size? Now, a cow's scary, but can you imagine a chicken that big? Animal crackers are scary, actually. Very scary. All right. Next one. Why do we sing, take me out to the ball game, when we're already there? Does anybody know the answer to that one? We didn't know either. Okay. And uh, last one. How do you tell when you run out of invisible ink? We don't know. Here's what I do know. People are difficult. I do know that. And here's what else I know. People are difficult about the way they are difficult. Write that one down. That's deep. Not only are they difficult, but they're difficult even about identifying how difficult they are. I mean, they're messed up, but they're messed up sideways, upside down, backwards. Okay? You ever put a sweater on and done it through the armhole? Just me. Okay. <laughs> Try it sometime. That's how difficult some people are. Okay? Let me explain what I mean. There's these kind of people. Let me just give you some identifiers. Go ahead. <clears throat> the hammer. This is the person who is always right, and even when they're wrong, they're right. Because they're always, because I'm speaking, it must be right. They are the hammer. That's the difficult person. Please do not point. Next. It's the megaphone. May not be right, but they will talk you to death. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Just talk, 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 talk. And then finally, you don't even care anymore. You'll just do whatever they say just to get them to stop talking, right? Have you ever bought a product just to get the people off your step? Yeah, next one. The accuser. I know what you said, but I know what you thought you said, too. I know what you thought you said you meant to say. I know you didn't say what you thought you said, but I know what you meant. That's the accuser. Please, I know, you're, you're doing this right now. I can see it over here. Just, please, Dave, speak over there, into, into his heart. Yeah, next one. <clears throat> the volcano. Anybody know a volcano? Boosh! You're afraid to approach it. Why? It might burst. It might, and you will have it all over you. You know, you just, just can't be done. I, uh, there was an executive who gave some advice to a pastor one day. Is the best, some of the best advice in the world. Here it is. You, you cannot fight with a skunk and not get stink on you. And a volcano will do that to you, right? They just let it go. And so you don't want to approach it. Why? And this is actually a defense mechanism. It keeps people from bringing things up. Why? Because they know you're going to blow. So then they, just, they don't bring it up. 
Okay, next. The nitpicker, right? They may be right, but it may not really matter that much. Right? Some of you are laughing to keep from crying. Yes. Some of you are going, that one might be me. Yes. Yes, but, but the grass is a little taller there. Some of you are doing that right now. But it does need to be clipped. Yes, it does, but it doesn't matter when you're flying overhead at 300 feet. The airplane can't tell. Yeah. Okay, next one. The crybaby and the whiner. Been around those people? Oh, yeah. Yes, they need a nap. And if they're below the age of four, they need a paddling and a nap. Okay, next one. The my way or the highway. I don't want to hear it. I just do not want to hear it. I am done with this. You do this my way. You are, we're, this discussion is over. Okay, we've not even had the discussion. I know, and it is over, right? How many of you, you know, you've done that? You've had that happen to you? Sure. My way or the highway. Next. Yep. The garbage collector, this list could keep on going. You know what a garbage collector is? A person who keeps saving stuff. You keep throwing stuff on. They keep, they just back the truck up to your life and then unload it. Back in 72, you did this, and they bring this garbage out on your driveway of your life, right? Just haul it out, and it smells after 30 years, doesn't it? Yeah, that's the garbage collector. The user comes into your life, gets what they want out of you, and then walks away. You had that? Mm-hmm. The manipulator. Yeah, they, they come in at the angle they need to come in to get what they need, right? And they, they push your buttons, and they know your buttons. And the one I love the best is the conflicted conflictor. You're saying, is that even a word? I don't know, but I made it up this week. Of course it's a word. It's a person who's not only conflicted, but they're conflicted about the way they're conflicted. So you, you can't get a path out. There's no way out of the woods with this because they'll find a way back into the woods. And they'll always, and they'll say, well, let me, and then they'll start the argument over again. This just can't be done. Why does this happen? Why are people so difficult? Let me give you two answers, and it really comes down to this, this great spiritual thing that's happening within us. The reason that people are so difficult is that we live in a fallen world, and that fallenness has marked us. It has done some damage. Because we're in a fallen world, get this, we all have, and you need to get this down, we all have crazy moments. But some of us, have more than crazy moments, we are actually crazy makers. Now, understand, all of us are going to have crazy moments. But because of the fallenness of who we are, it gets us off center, and it gets us to work in a reactive kind of way rather than proactive. And it might be a bad experience, something in our past, a feeling or a situation. There might just be the need just to melt down. Someone says, I just need that cry. I just need to let this thing out. And then, they, they, then they're all better. And for others, it's I need to go for a jog, or I need to study, I need to read, I need to take a nap. But there's a physical thing going on, there's an emotional thing going on, there's a spiritual element too. And the reason it's so difficult to deal with people is because all of that difficulty in our past comes together in this new experience. And it becomes kind of a relief valve, kind of a, um, a control valve of how we deal with situations. But there's a second reason. God designed us to be relational people. And, and because we're designed to be relational people, you're not meant to live alone. You're meant to do life together. And we do relationships. And, 
And so why wouldn't Satan want to go after the way you're wired? Get, if you understand this, you're going to get the, the whole enchilada right here. I mean, this is it. If you can get down what Satan is up to, then you realize he's manipulating me, so I push people away to keep from relationships, and then I feel lonely, and then I never feel connected to God's family or to God. You do understand right now, in America, for instance, we're really going through it on the family. I mean, the family's taking major hits to the head right now. That is not just a sociological issue. That's not just an economic issue. That's not just a family structure issue or, or an economic thing about buying houses and education and school districts. No, 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 no. You see, you break down the family and what will happen? We'll, have, we'll raise a whole generation who will be afraid to call God in heaven our father. Do you get this? And when that falls down, then there'll be a huge trust factor, not just with your dad, but with your father in heaven. It's way bigger than you can imagine. So when we fight for the family, it's because we're fighting for that little piece that's part of a great big picture that God has painted long before we ever showed up. And he says, I want relationship with you like a father has compassion on his children, so I have compassion on you. And when you're an abused kid, you go, I don't want to be around my dad because he hurts me. See, and that actually makes you back away, not just from your father, but from God. It is a spiritual issue. Because we are relational people, understand this, Satan is out to mess up and to tangle and to triangulate. you know what triangulate is? Just to come in and mess up the relationships. If he can do that, then you're working harder on the relationships than you are on your relationship with God because this, this thing is happening all the time. It's just crazy making all the time. I'm reminded of a poem that sits eight decades old. To live with saints above, well, that will be glory. But to live with saints below, well, that's another story. <laughs> yeah, it's true though. And Satan would love to make that another story instead of it to be glory. So how do you deal with, how do you deal with just the family? I wanna deal with two things. One is, how do you deal with people in general? But then, how do you deal specifically, Philippians 4, how do you deal with just the family? Philippians chapter 4 is where we're going to begin. Verse 1 says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, not in your uh, text there, but he, he says, Whom I love, whom I long for, my joy, my crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way. Philippians 4, verse 1. And he, he calls them dear friends. Get this, verse 1. Get, get this, he calls them brothers, sisters, I love you, you're my joy, you're my crown, stand firm in the Lord, you're my dear friend. Get that? Now, if that isn't affirming, I don't know what is. All in one verse, that's, one, that's verse one. Now, verse two, he says, I plead with, and there's two women's names, These are in, in the, you're saying, how do you know they're women? Because in ancient language, Bible was written in New Testament and Greek, uh, Old Testament Hebrew, and then some Aramaic, which is kind of a middle ground language, and then mostly Koine Greek, which is street Greek. Not a formal language, not classical. So uh, everything in, in street Greek was male or female, and these two names are both female. I love what one scholar says. I, he says, I plead with Yodia, and I plead with Syntyche. And these people, were, these two women, were, were very moody and did not get along. And so this scholar said, I plead with, um, I plead with uh, Muodia, and soon touchy, instead of syntyche, little play on words, okay. Bad, I know, but it works. <laughs> I plead with Yodia, and I plead with syntyche, to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, 
And I ask you, my true companion, help these women since they have contended at my side in the cause of the gospel, along with Clement, a masculine name, and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Stop there. He's saying, I am pleading with these ladies to be of the same mind. In other words, to get along. He is writing this from a jail cell. Get this. And he's saying, could you two just get along, please? But it's like kids in the backseat of a car on vacation and you're in week two, and you wondered, why did we do this? Why do we not have glass panels between the children? I don't know. Mom, she's breathing on me. Dad, he looked at me. You know, just, okay? And, and that's what you have with Euodia and Syntyche. They are not of the same mind in the Lord. So you have to view them not as the enemy, but you have to view them as, number one, a brother's sister. He's just said that in verse one. And now in verse uh, three, they're true companions. They stood with me. They have contended at my side for the gospel. These are part of the kingdom. This is part of heaven. And secondly, my relationship is worth more than this little incident that they want something different for dinner, that they will eat or they won't eat certain foods, that they will or won't do certain events. Uh, the preference to the person, in fact, the honor of the person is more important than the actual preference. And then that leads me to say, thirdly, this is not going to go away. This is not just lifelong. This is, this is for eternity. So I need to get along with people who are difficult to get along with, who are in the kingdom, who are headed to heaven. Why? Because I'm going to heaven with them. This is not going to go away. And since I'm going to heaven with them, I need to get it right before we go to heaven and meet the Lord. And the Lord says, you two are still working on this? You still can't get along? I, the Father in heaven says, I sent my son to pay for the sins and you two can't talk to each other? That's just not right. I, I, and it's that way about relationships and family and, and in church relationships, everything. Get that down. Now, uh, go from here, skip over to Second uh, Timothy 2, just a few more pages back. How do, you deal with, how do you deal with not just Christians, but just people in general? And Second Timothy 2 gives us a, a great kind of grid to work off of, and I want to give to you this morning uh, maybe five or so pointers just to help you navigate your way through the difficult situations. And what you have to understand is this. When Paul writes to Timothy, this letter of 2 Timothy is probably the last we hear of the Apostle Paul. Okay? Now, why is this important? Well, the last words, if, if this were the last letter I would write to my kids, there are certain things I would say and certain things I would do. And I'm sure you would do the same thing. Well, that's what the Apostle Paul's doing. He is writing... I have fought the good fight, I've finished the course, I've kept the faith, and there'll be erroneous times, it's gonna be difficult, but you stand firm, and here's what a leader looks like, and he is really working through the grid of I'm leaving, so here's some things you have to attend to. And one of the things he attends to, in not just great theological treatise here, and not about church structure, he's talking about really about relationships. Second Timothy chapter two, um, verse let me pick it up at verse 22. Flee youthful desires. 
uh, the desires of the youth and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call the Lord out of a pure heart. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but must be kind to everyone. Get that. You have to be kind to everyone. Able to teach, not resentful. Opponents must be gently instructed in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. And they will come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil who has taken them into captivity to do his will. The first thing I see in verse 22 is we have to flee the evil desires that come with being youthful. Instead, I have to pursue righteousness, which means I have to stop this drive towards impulsivity. Youthful flesh will make you do things that are not wise. They will step you into the conflict and step up the conflict and escalate the conflict. And then it will become about you and not about the situation. It's really not that big of a deal. And then you'll lose the opportunity. You'll lose the opportunity, verse 22, get this, for faith and righteousness and faith to really emerge and for love and for peace to really rule over this, for you to rise above it. That's really further down to the text. But it, you lose that opportunity if you go towards the impulsivity. You've seen it, so have I. It happens this almost every night on the news. Road rage, right? And it escalates to the point someone dies. Something stupid, stupid happens. All to save just a moment of time or a space in a car or a little bit of room on a road. And you say, this is not worth it. But at the moment, in, in the impulsive moment, it appears to be the right thing. So he says, you flee from that. Don't just like... Oh, postpone it. No, you get away from it. Run away from the youthful desires. Instead, you have to pursue what's right and what is true, what is um, faith and what is love and what is peace. And you have to do that out of a pure heart. Here's what I've noticed is when we get into conflicted situations, you ever been in a conflicted, how many of you have been in a conflicted situation before in your life? How many have no idea what I'm talking about? couple of you. Okay, good. God bless you. You have a wonderful day because it's soon to hit you and you'll have no idea. But you've been in a conflicted situation and then you do what you think is the right thing and then you feel dirty or nasty later. You ever had that happen? Oh yeah. yeah. And you didn't do anything wrong. You just don't like conflict. You know why it happens that way? Because, go back, end of verse 22. Because you're calling on the Lord out of a What's it say? What kind of heart? A pure heart. You want your heart to be pure. And you don't like stepping up and saying, no, that's not right. You don't like the conflicted situation. So then it's the conflictor who actually makes you feel dirty. And you didn't even do anything wrong. You ever been punished for something you didn't even do wrong? I've been punished for stuff I've been, I, like, I get accused of stuff. And I tell Wanda, I, shoot, if I'm going to get accused, I might as well go out and do it. I'm not recommending that. But you get accused of wrong stuff or wrong motives or wrong actions, and you say, I didn't even do that. I might as well get the pleasure for it. Might as well get the benefit of it. No, because then you end up with a not-so-pure heart. And the whole goal to this is at the end of the day, when you lay your head on the pillow, to have a pure heart before the Lord, just between you and the Lord, just, you know, maybe no one else even understands you know, and I found this, in conflict, 
This happened with the Apostle Paul. There were times people stood with him, and if you'll read the epistles, particularly the pastoral epistles, there'll be times that people stand with him. There'll be other times when everyone loves this present world and fades away, and he is alone. And you're gonna have moments like that. And you know what, that may be good, because then you know what it's like to do the right thing out of a pure heart and be alone. And it's at those moments, I'm not saying that you're on the cross, but I'm saying for a moment you understand a little bit what Jesus thought or felt when he was on the cross, and nobody stood with him. Those are precious moments, actually. Verse 23. Don't have anything to do with foolish and stupid arguments because you know they produce quarrels. Second step, step number one, don't watch the impulsivity. Step two, refuse to play the game. These arguments are foolish and stupid. If there's any part of this sentence we don't get, you know, this is pretty plain. It is foolish, it is stupid. If you wondered, it could be either or both. Don't engage in it. Refuse to play the game. If you overreact, you will only live in regret. Nothing good will come from engaging in this dishonorable kind of of, uh, engagement. So stay away from it. Don't have anything to do with it. Why? All it will do is lead to an argument. It will not produce the end result you want. And you will argue, argue, argue until the end of the day. It just produces a quarrel. You've been around people that just like to argue? You've been around? I know some of you right now are going, what do you mean by that? (laughs) It might be you. But you've been around people, they don't even want to come to conclusion, and the scripture talks about them. Always arguing, never coming to conclusion of who Christ really is. They always want to debate him, but never want to come to conclusion of him. They're called Pharisees, actually. Pride is the issue. They'll pick any point and debate it. It's Sunday morning news talk on, the, on TV and radio, actually. It's the weekend news magazines. They'll just sit and debate points and never come to conclusion. It does not help us. And we want enlightenment, but we want to come to some conclusion. That's huge. Number three, you have to rise above the situation. It's verse 24. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. So don't do verse 23. Don't be like verse 23. Don't be quarrelsome. But must be kind to everyone. Get that? Able to teach and not resentful. In other other, uh, translations it says not resentful to the difficult person. It actually has a noun attached at the back end of it. In other words, you know who you're thinking about right now. You know who's difficult in your life right now. In our flesh, we, we would think we, would, we could win this argument. And you have to step up and rise above and be the mature one and set the example, even if others don't. Even if they don't. And then verse 25. Opponents must be gently instructed, not told off, not slam dunked. Okay, do you understand the difference? You must be, and it, that takes a terrific amount of personal discipline because it's easy to slam, isn't it? It's easy to slam. Opponents must be gently 
instructing people in the hope that God will grant them repentance. In other words, if you are not gentle in what you do, you might be right, but it will not lead to repentance. It won't change the mind. That's what repentance means. It won't change the mind of the person. Why? Because you weren't gentle. I, I hope we get this. Whether parenting, whether relationships, with our adult parents, with people in business, when you come in rough-sawn and rambling over people, they may submit for the moment until you walk out of the office. The eyes will roll. There'll be no respect. And if you would come in and ask a few questions gently, you could get a whole lot more progress. You could get a whole lot further down the road. Go back to verse 25. Opponents must be gently instructed, okay, in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. So, so it, what it does is it gets them to this point where now they aren't doing what you want. What are they getting to? They're getting to the truth. Do you see the difference? They're actually, you're helping them not only come to what you've come to already, you're actually helping them to the truth. So now they're going to own it. So now it's no longer your decision or your mandate. It's theirs. Do you see the difference in that? But that only happens if you gently instruct. All of us, uh, all of us have a favorite elementary school teacher, right? I mean, almost all of us. I joke with the kids in the back hall. I'll, I'll be walking down the hall, and there'll be kids back there. And I'll say, hey, and we'll do fist bump. And I'll say, what grade are you in? And I'll say, third grade. And I'll say to them, that's the three best years of my life, third grade. Love third grade. And they're, they're looking like, like that. It's just kind of punching. So we're, I love the kids in the back hall. But if you were to go backwards in time, you have a favorite teacher. And I, I don't know everybody, can't, can't know every school, I can't know every teacher, no way in the world. I do know this, there's a real high probability that teacher understood you, talked gently into your life, showed some patience, some level of patience. It wasn't that they were rocket scientists, it wasn't that they were smarter than any other teacher, it wasn't that they were more brilliant or they had more leadership capability, none of those things. It was that they breathed in slowly and breathed out slowly and they handled you in a way that you understood. You got it. For me, it was fourth grade Mrs. Godfrey. I mean, I think every boy in my fourth grade class was in love with her. We just loved her. We were broken when we found out she was married. But she was beautiful. Do you know why? Because she was gentle. And she never raised her voice. Do you know why? Because she didn't have to. And you have a teacher like that. I'm sure you do. Understand this. If you'll gently instruct and shed light where there is heat and you'll work on your own personal discipline. See, in our flesh, we'd like to turn up the heat. We want to get her done because we want to be right and we want to be victorious. See, we want to get it right, and we want, to, we, we want it to be announced. Our position is right. No, what we want is it, we want everybody to come to the same conclusion, which is the right one. Then we're all victorious. See the difference? And if we want to, if we want to show off who we are, then that's what's going to happen. But if we will come in underneath and gently instruct, they will own the truth, and it will be theirs, and they'll carry it. And it will give to them 
peace in their own mind because they'll stick with that decision because it's theirs. And, and, and we're not, only, not only is it the better outcome, but that's the outcome, that's the pathway that God prescribes in his word. And he's saying, I want you to help them get to a better place. And they're going to stay in that place if they really own it. And the way they're going to own it is for you to gently instruct. And then you give them room for them to change their mind. And then they're going to attach to the truth. And so you're shedding light when there's a whole lot of heat. Number five, know that there's a whole lot more at stake. Verse 26, that they come to their senses and escape the trap of the devil. See this? There it is again. This isn't about anything else but spiritual warfare. There's a whole lot more at stake. And he has really taken them captive. Even in the psych world, and I read, I, probably every week of the year, I read somewhere in a psych, either journal or a book or counseling or something, I read I, I, just, I like to read it because I, like I like the study of the mind. I think it's a, a fascinating study, frankly. And learning styles and what happens in our brain and how it connects and what that does and fear and what gets us into motion and what takes us. I love the study of that, but here, here's what we have to understand. If he gets inside there and pollutes that piece, he's holding it captive. And you can't make good decisions when he holds your mind captive. So what we have to pray is this, that they'll come to their senses because there's a whole lot more at stake. It's the mind and the heart of the people you're dealing with. So this isn't just about difficult people and an annoyance and trying to get through a troubled situation and trying to crunch the numbers and somebody in the office that isn't cooperating. No, and it isn't just about your bad past experiences and how you can't trust people because that's a choice you're making. Just because someone was a jerk before, you're assuming the next 99 people are going to be jerks too. No, no, no. And I understand you have to unlearn some of that behavior, but how much longer will you take to unlearn that? That would be the question. How much longer do you want to stay in that timeout of your life, if you will? How much longer do you want to stay on the side of the road and not make the progress you'd like to make? So someday you're going to need to trust people again, and I would encourage you to do it now because the devil may be holding you in that trap in a holding pattern. See, it's a whole lot more at stake than you realize. Than just, oh, it's just difficult people, or I'm being difficult, or they'll get, they'll get used to me being difficult. No. You have no idea how incredibly, uh, how the incredible potential that you have if you would let the Lord fully engage your mind, if it was fully devoted to him. And then that's why it's hard for us to even judge people, because we think... I think I know what's going on when I really don't. I think I, I, I can call the shots in their life. Why? Because I think I know. I really don't. I'm reminded of a story I just heard a few weeks ago. The guy's name is Dino. He runs a, a center for medical and social services. He's kind of a pastor, but not really, but sort of. He lives in the South, and he says, I, I went one day into Popeye's chicken place. You ever been to Popeye's? He said, I went there, and he said, I'm getting in line, and he says, it's Popeye's, it's chicken, it's biscuits, it's red beans, I'll be happy, happy place. He goes there, it's stressful, he can feel it, the workers are hustling there, they can't keep up, but there's a guy at the front, and he says, the guy's 70, 75 years old, but he is angry, he's, oh, hey, what's going on, hey, give me my three-piece, ain't some chicken, and he's yelling, and Dino just immediately just goes, you know, this is Popeye's, for Christ's chicken, 
for crying out loud. I'm just taking a break. I just want some chicken. So it should be happy. So what does he think about the 70, 75-year-old guy? Immediately he doesn't like him. Why? Because he's, he's causing stress in a place that ought to be happy. But the workers aren't happy. Obviously somebody didn't show up. They're behind. Things aren't, the orders aren't running smoothly and the, the guy's getting bossy. You've had this in a fast food where then the guy goes, yeah, I can't believe it. And then they turn around to get the people behind him. Yeah, can you believe it too? Well, that guy does that to Dino. Like, come on, let's get on this. Let's gang up on this. You know, like, we're going to take over Popeye's. I mean, why would you do that? <laughs> so Dino immediately doesn't like the guy. And he backs away and the guy gets real gruff. He goes, what's wrong with you people? And makes those kind of statements. And he's rushing, he finally grabs his food, he grabs his bag, and he walks out, and he gets to the door, and he looks in the bag, and he comes back, and he goes, you didn't get me my biscuits, my biscuits. And the guy's like, you know, and he's clutching his chest like he's going to have a heart attack. And Dino's like, you go down, buddy, I'm not doing mouth to mouth. You're, you're nasty. I'll pray for you, but I'm not going to save you. Just go let you go down. The guy's grabbing his chest, he gets his biscuits and marches out. Dino steps up to the counter. Well, now, how does he get treated? The lady looks at him and says, and what do you want? <laughs> Dino goes, hey, praise the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah, I just want some chicken. You know, I'm easy. You know, and he tries to back down the stress. It's obviously all throughout that little fast food place. Dino said he, he got his bag and went out the door. He got out the door, he was just footsteps out the door and there's the old guy in an old beater of a truck an old 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 beater of a truck and he's got eight little kids and he's dividing up a three-piece meal for these eight kids who are probably his grandkids he doesn't know but he said you, you just when you, you don't even like the guy but there may be a reason behind what's happening but you have to understand, you can either, and Dino would have been right to tell the guy off or whatever, but it still wouldn't win his heart, see? We don't really know what's going on inside of people's hearts, do we? We really don't know. So we want to err on the side of being more gracious than we have to be, right? Being a little more patient than maybe is necessary. I'll tell you one more. I was with staff this week. We were in a car together. Not, not all the staff. There were four of us in this car together. We were going. And we were hopping on the interstate. <laughs> we are so D.C. and we didn't even know it. And we're outside of the town. But we drive like D.C. I don't like that laughter. But anyway. <laughs> I don't know if I was driving or if Ernest was driving. But we pull up on that overpass. We're going to take a left onto the interstate. And we're out of state. Okay, So we're away from the toxicity of the region. And we pull up on the overpass, and then we have to turn left, and there's a truck coming the other way. It actually comes up. It has a yield sign before it goes onto the interstate. And it stopped. It actually yielded <laughs> for us. And, I, and all there are four of us in the car, and we were like, <laughs> what? What a loser! We're, we're going! You know, we took that gap and took it, and we we're like, yeah, baby. You know, and then we realized we are so toxic with DC driving. That guy gave us eight good feet, you know, enough to fit a, you know, 18 foot van through. You know, you just, you realize 
you realize just how stressed you really are and how badly you need to back off. And when that guy gave us room, it was like it made our day. And I, and I was like, I was, in, I was like, uh, to that guy, you know how you do that, uh, some dumb look, like, <laughs> you know, they're gonna think you're weird now and he's gonna call the authorities on you. We were overjoyed. The fact that someone tr- treated us kindly. You, you don't know what your act of kindness might be. Understand this, and this is where I'm gonna leave this. You, you do not know how much is at stake when you play around with your emotions and your moods and the influence that has on other people. What we do know in light of the passage is Satan will use that and he will use it slyly on you. So ask God our Father in heaven and the Holy Spirit as your friend and your guide to all truth. Ask him, make me sensitive to this. Not, not hypersensitive so I can't make decisions not immobilized, like I can't figure out my way through life, but make me sense of this so I'm aware of what you're up to and the pit people are in and how I might be a blessing and how I could be kind and patience and how I could extend some grace and how it's not about me and how I might be able to gently help somebody else. And that's how God treated us in Christ when we were very difficult. And being Christ followers, that's how we'll treat people. And even when they don't deserve it, because God knows we didn't, right? Right. Let's bow for prayer and let's stand as we pray. We've talked about following Christ that's maybe never been your decision to do that before. Even before we go, Something may be pulling at your heart to say, this is the day, this is the moment. I need to follow Christ because I need supernatural help. I can't do this on my own. So I'm just going to invite you to open your heart to the Lord. Just tell God in heaven, God, I know I need supernatural help. I need a Savior from my sin, and I, I trust Christ to be mine. Others of us in the room, we identify maybe not with a bunch of those difficult people, but just one or two here and there. So help us not to play the games, to be manipulated. Help us to rise above it, to fight the good fight, to finish the course, to keep the faith. Henceforth, there's laid before us a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to us, not to us only, But to those who love his appearing, may we love his appearing because we love people with a pure heart. And that's our prayer, Lord. I want to love people with a pure heart. Would you pray that? Everybody in the room. God, I want to love people with a pure heart. Deserving or not doesn't matter because I don't know their story. Help me to love them with a pure heart because certainly you have. And unto him who's able to do more, immeasurably more than we can even ask or think, to him belongs the glory. Help us, Lord, this week to love you fully, we pray in Christ's name. And the church says, amen. Amen. Amen.